Welcome, everyone. A very good morning to you all. I'm Tamina Kauzji, your moderator for today's up close and personal conversation with the wonderful Saras Manikam. As many of you may already know, she is the Commonwealth Short Story Prize winner for this year for the Asian edition with her wonderful short story, My Mother Part Two. How many of us have read it? Yes, yes. Reread it just this morning as well. <laughs> So I just wanted to start off with a very quick, it's fortuitous also that um, My Mother Part 2, which is intrinsically about the daily violence which female bodies exist in, be it physical, psychological, sexual, the story is about that, but we're also just a few days away from, from the International Day for Elimination of Violence Against Women, 25th of November which also starts off with 16 days of activism. So with that in mind, keeping in part that we're also going to be discussing the wider context of cultural stereotypes, identity, all these big questions. Without further ado, Saras, could we have a little round of applause? <laughs> so Saras, I wanted to begin with um, how your short story actually ends with a little sucker punch to the heart. Tell me, what brought out that coy viciousness of Patu towards her daughter that also took you so many years, as you told me, of refining, editing, and revising? Many of my friends know how long Patu was in the, in the you know, gestation. Um, Damienti saw the first draft, I think, about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it came out 10 years ago, Patu was different, and my feelings towards her, they were full of rage, full of anger, full of resentment, because she was deliberately destroying someone's life. And mm. over the 10 years, I grew up, and, I, and, and as my experiences changed me, my attitude towards Patu changed, and she became a, a whole, more complete person. Uh, mm. Not every mother is meant to be a mother, and uh, you can't tell a woman, you, you can't rage against your daughter because she's your daughter, because it doesn't work that way. People are people. Mm. And, and so Patu, I changed towards Patu, and, and my attitude, my, my concept of people changed, and therefore that change went into this character, and to the sub, it was like 10 million drafts. <laughs> Sarah, for a short story <laughs> but is there a certain sentimentality that you have to detach yourself from when you're doing that painful rewriting and editing process as a writer what do you mean by I know, detachment so do you have to sort of sit outside of it and then only you can start revising and editing it oh yes I think when you write you're mm -hmm. into it yeah. you're wholly completely into the character characters into the story, into the situation. Then when you rewrite and then when you edit, you move away because then your, your hat is different. Your editing hat makes you look at everything twice, thrice, without emotion, without um, sentimentality. What I wanted most, most of all was that there should be no sentimentality or, or stuff like that attached to my stories because that's not right, not fair to the characters, not fair to the story. Mm. So when you write your characters as well, mm -hmm. one must say that you are writing about the experience of being an Indian woman, 
a mm -hmm. Malaysian Indian mm -hmm. woman. Now, do you also want to, in the near future, write about stories outside of what is personal experience? Right. Um, yes. When I started writing, you write from where you are, and where I was, mm -hmm. was that of a Malaysian Indian, ethnic Malaysian Indian, in a Malaysian Indian family, conservative. I had to write those stories first and get them out. When you speak about get them out, you've come back to this a few times, getting it out. Yes. Why is that necessary for you as a writer? Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking for all the women mm -hmm. that I'm writing about. Um, because this is just a Yeah, side. we encourage audience participation. <laughs> Please, yes. stand up, cheer, stand on your head if you wish. Because when I wrote, will you let him drink the wind, women mm -hmm. came up and told me, thank you for writing that. You told people what I wanted to say, and I had no words to say. Then I realized, yeah, maybe I have the words to say what other people don't have the words to say, you know, about their lives, or what's important to them, or what makes them mad, or what makes them real. So when you speak about what makes you mad, what makes you sad, would you say that you wrote part two as an amalgamation of different characters, or was she completely her own? Oh yes, an amalgamation, definitely. Uh, but to start it with my grandma, who was a very feisty woman, but a lot, she, but she became, she took on lots of other women. Um, they were feisty, they were, they were full of rage, and all the windows to them were closed because they were women. Mm. Within a setting that was, you know, in those days, you couldn't do many things. And there was this quiet rage. Many women raged quietly. But to just raged very outwardly and wrecked mm -hmm. everybody and, and so on. I think I, I was writing the stories of all those women, um, of all our histories. We carry those histories with us. Mm -hmm. And, and um, this is one expression of them. So you speak of closed windows. Part too often is out the door. Yeah. There's many, many references of yeah. the doors to it. But uh, what I personally loved also, as a woman from an Indian background, though perhaps not so visibly in Malaysia, mm -hmm. is that it was done without judgment. Uh, I just wanted to ask, and if you're willing to share, was there a more judgmental eye towards how Patu was as a person in your earlier drafts oh, of yes. the work? I told you, she's, um, I hated her. Mm. And I wanted to punish her, you know? Um, she was... She was so mean to her daughter. And, and I said, I grew up and I thought, no one is black and white. No one comes in with this manual for motherhood or for womanhood or for, or for anything. You just, you just work it along as you go. And, and um, her, her issues go deeper than her daughter. Mm. She's just taking, taking things out on her because she's that one visible victim, helpless victim. Mm -hmm. So this is also, of course, um, the Commonwealth Short Story Prize. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the cultural bind, perhaps, mm -hmm. of being a person of ethnic origins, but at the same time writing in your predominantly comfortable language, which is English. How do you overcome that? Or is that something that you've always been comfortable with? I think English is my first language, for, as for many of us. Um, my mother tongue is Malayalam, which I don't speak. My father tongue is Tamil, which I speak. But my first language is English. 
So I think in English. So it, it's a very natural thing. I, I have no angst about that. Mm. Yeah. And what would you say is your earliest memory of uh, writing bringing you a pleasure, a sense of having had your say? You've been writing <laughs> since, your, since your teens, since you yes, were a young yes. girl. But when I first wrote, uh, I was in university when it got published. Uh, my first short story got published in the Her World and I was so embarrassed I used a pseudonym. I used, <laughs> I used various pseudonyms for all my short stories when I was in university and I was working. It took me a long time to say, hey, come on, use your own name for heaven's sake. Exactly. Own up to it. <laughs> so all the way from using pseudonyms to today where you, as you mentioned to me, um, your son sharing with his university peers yes. your story. What was that feeling like? Oh, Having yeah. come pretty full circle. I know. He, my, my son is one of my worst critics. You know, your family doesn't think very much of your writing, honestly. <laughs> uh, it's like she writes. <laughs> and um, so I didn't really tell him that I had entered this competition or had been short. I never told him anything about being shortlisted. But when I won, he actually looked up the story and he read it and he was, Mom, it's good. I, I, you enjoyed? Yes, I enjoyed. I told all my friends. <laughs> and they're so impressed. <laughs> but what do you feel, uh, what do you feel, Sarah, resonated most with the younger readers for your story in particular? Was it that she's such an iconoclast? I think it was a lack of judgment towards mm. different people. Um, my niece told me, because she's another critic in your family, um, and she said, you didn't make me hate Patu, you know? Mm -hmm. I hated her, but I felt sorry for her at the same time. Mm. And that was important for me, you know? And I thought that was real. I didn't, there were no black and white characters. Mm -hmm. Maybe more black, maybe a little bit more. <laughs> but no black and white. So Patu definitely has what could be framed as liberal values. Mm. Now liberal, speaking of that uh, big, bad, seven-letter mm. word, yeah. in the social-cultural context of Malaysia today, what do you think about how we've cycled as a people from a Malaysia that was Piramli, Saloma, to an Ombak Rindu, and a performance of piety? I don't know how to answer that question. You guys know how to answer that question. I don't know. This is a conversation. So if yeah. you feel ready to think? express, to share, or even just things to ponder about in the context of writing, in the context of how things have changed so much, but really not at all, perhaps. When um, I remember the 60s, mm -hmm. or oh, the 50s, I'm, I'm very fa faintly, I remember... My mom and my sister telling me stories of the 50s, where, we, where people came in as migrants from India, from wherever, and they were a little bit more liberal, which was why Patu could get away with all that she did. They were liberal in... Uh, things were changing, such a flux. And then there was a war, and uh, people could no longer go back to India, which was the bastion of morality mm -hmm. at that time. You know, so it was only later, uh, in the 60s, later 60s and 70s, that all the moral values got entrenched back again, and they would probably have hated Patu. My family is so proud that I, my, 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 ex, my you know, extended family is so proud that I won the, the, the Asian prize, but they kind of cringe a bit about the story. <laughs> but you know, Patu is not exactly the kind of woman they would like to meet. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of, she's not quite us. So that's, 
So when you speak about the fact that um, Patu was written at a certain point in time, but at the same time, the fact that it resonates with readers today so deeply, it also goes to show that um, the situation hasn't really changed that much. What do you think about that fact? It's still pretty much the same amongst many uh, Malaysian Indian families in particular. The, the morality, um, putting it upon the daughters of the family to be the custodians of um, family dignity, pride, and etc. Patriarchy. Yeah. A lot of patriarchy, yeah. Just in different forms, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes down to the different forms of patriarchy, um, Malaysian Indian women in particular, one can say that, fine, um, you're, you're liberated, you have access to education, etc., etc. But what does it mean to not have access to personhood as a mm. Malaysian Indian woman? If you could speak a little about that. Um, I, I don't think it refers particularly to Malaysian Indians. Speaking for myself, sure. I choose my own self to be a person in my own right. And yes, there is definitely a price to pay for it. If you don't want to pay the price, then you just follow what others expect you to be. But what that goes for anybody, you know, mm -hmm. to, to be subservient or to submit or to be uh, a good traditional person, work and earn the money, but come back and be a good wife, and mm -hmm. look after your kids and cook and clean and listen to your husband. I think all of us sort of are given those kind of choices, lack of choices. So we choose what we want to be. And if there is a price to pay, we must pay the price. Because whether we like it or not, our children are picking up those wipes from us as to what makes us, us. It's a heavy cost. And it's always, and it's always yes. traditionally been one that uh, women, women, regardless pay. of background, women pay. pay. Women yes. pay. What about men? Um, I'm getting a little bit technical here now, uh, but uh, the most recent uh, World Bank Malaysia study actually proves that 26% uh, of Malaysian women who are qualified, who are able, do not work as a direct result of sexism in the home because there's no support for childcare, no support for elderly care, and that leads up to you not having a choice about whether or not you can work or whether or not you can balance. So within this scope, how important has it been for you also as a woman writer to maintain space for yourself? I think I've got to ask other women how you maintain space. I think we always maintain space. We work at making, making space for ourselves. If the house doesn't get clean, so what? You know, if I don't get, I don't cook, it's okay. You make space for yourself. Hmm. Uh, I think you have to go out and grab that space. It's not given to you. It's not allocated to you. It sounds a lot like, and I always come back to this, particularly when I speak to female writers, um, it's a one-sided struggle. Oh, yeah. What about everything else on the outside? Um, uh, Aside from social perceptions, uh, conformity, stereotypes, what about within the domestic arena? Why is it still so difficult to get the men in our lives? No, the women in our lives, mm. our mothers. Our mothers, Let's start okay. with our mothers mm -hmm. and our, our older sisters, our grandmothers. Um, 
my mother-in-law came one. I'm telling you, I think I may have told you the story. She came one day. Mm-hmm. She saw my little boy setting the table, wiping it, setting them, getting the plates. She got so upset. She got very upset. She said, that's not a boy's job. He said, whose job is it? <laughs> he couldn't understand her why she was fussing. Mm. He said, somebody's got to do it. Mom's cooking, dad's washing cannon. So I got to set the table. Mm. So I think the mothers, the grandmothers, everybody trains you. Mm-hmm. And the men train themselves. There's no excuse for the men to say, I, I was brought up this way. Rubbish. But I think you bring up perhaps a very salient point, the fact that it's often also our female gatekeepers yeah. who shape the way we not only grow up. Right. Now, going back into the question of um, community, society, uh, racial segregation is something which is very new in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Back in the old days, let's say in the generation when you were in school, things were very different. What do you think has um, changed in the meanwhile that has led to a Malaysia where we speak most often and most loudly of these words, community, unity, one, togetherness. But as we often say in writing, the louder you're shouting something, perhaps the less present it is. You're speaking out to the silence. Um, Kam can answer that question. (laughs) Absolutely. It is her day, yes. But as you said, it's a conversation conversation. too. Politics happened, don't you think so? Politicians happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like, leave the people alone. Leave them alone. They, they, they're fine. Um, we, 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 we get along so well, honestly. Um, and then the politicians get into the act and talk about religion or race. And uh, I, as a writer, dare not go into certain spheres when it comes to writing about Malaysia, because I write about Malaysia. I can't, what else can I write about? Yes, quintessentially. <clears throat> I can't write about, uh, I can't talk about a, a Malay character who's maybe um, non-religious or drinking or whatever, because I'm so afraid of stepping across those boundaries where they'll tell me, how the, who the heck are you to write about this? How, how can you be so offensive? You are insensitive, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, which we hear all the time. So I self-censor when it mm. comes to certain races. So this self-censorship that um, overrides the question of being a writer, be it someone who works in the creative field or even somebody who works in news, I think it overrides um, the exi- existing as an individual who writes in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. How much does this impede you or impact you in not just your creativity, but your sense of oh, being able to express coward. yourself. I'm a blinking coward. <laughs> but do you so, write these stories for yourself, these characters? Oh, yes. Do you flesh them out in your mind? Um, I am writing those stories. Hmm. Um, I don't know whether they'll ever get published. I, I'm not saying I consciously go out and look for a Malay woman to write about. She just comes. Hmm. She just comes and says, write about me. And... Uh, what, what shall I write about you? Well, you know, um, I don't want to wear the hijab, but I'm getting a lot of flack about it. I don't, um, I don't want to be whatever. And, you know, I can write about um, an Indian woman, no holds barred. I can write about a Chinese woman, no holds barred. Mm-hmm. But I, am, I, sense, I censor myself when it comes to a Malay woman because 
I just don't want to get into trouble. I'm such a coward, you know? It's such a nuisance. I would never call you a coward. <laughs> I would never call you a coward. Thank you. <laughs> if anything, it, it wrenches my heart that you feel that you have to describe yourself as a coward because of what you do not, are unable to say. Oh, no, but I've met such brave people mm -hmm. here who are writing mm -hmm. and writing whatever they want to write. I mean, even here at the festival. Mm -hmm. And they're gorgeously brave. Speaking about being gorgeously brave, um, perhaps what spoke most to, to readers was Patu's sense of defiance. Mm. How important do, did you feel it was to put that defiance? Does it actually make up her entire personhood as a character? Or is she much more than the defiance? Um, why did Patu turn out to be what she was? She, you know, I think she was always wild, always different, always saying no, always wanting to find out. And, um, and they stopped her, her father, her mother stopped her at every turn of the way, blocked her. So when she pointed to Ming as the man who had made her pregnant, she had no qualms about that. Absolutely. Absolutely, you know, mm -hmm. she had no qualms about destroying somebody else's life. She had no qualms about destroying her own daughter's not destroying, but really ruining and, and uh, uh, the, the soul of her daughter. She had no qualms about whatever she did. Um, who do I blame? I, I, I can't keep blaming society. Where do you stop blaming mm -hmm. other people and start looking at your own self? I think what struck me most was uh, Patu's uh, rather casual cruelty. Ah, yes. Was yes. that, um, to you as the writer, was that a put on? Was that her defense mechanism? I think it's just what people are because she's capable of so much generosity. And, and I'm talking about people whom mm. I know who are capable of so much generosity. They would, they would you know, I, I knew women who would feed the beggars wherever they came and who would uh, give them the clothes to wear, give them money, give, and yet turn around and whack the kids and, or, or, or someone else. Mm -hmm. I think we all know uh, yes, women like that, exactly. mothers like Men that. Men like that, people mm -hmm. like that, yes. And you've come back to um, the phrase that perhaps she was not meant to be a mother. Now, this uh, is also something which is um, still a very taboo topic, not just in Asian society, even in Western society. If you are a mother, be a mother. Be a good mother. Be the ultimate, you know, Mother Mary, etc. But you go clearly against that by writing about not only a woman, but a woman who refuses to be a mother. Yeah, I, I think she shouldn't have been a mother. Um, and, and that's not being, uh, I'm not, not making a judgment against women who don't have children. It's just, um, Bismi told me not all women are meant to be mothers. Because when they are, some of them turn out to be very bad, very cruel, very depriving of their children. And uh, in Asian society, motherhood just happened. Don't you think so? You got married and you had to have kids. Or you got pregnant and yes, you marry and you have your kid. Hmm. And that, that's no training. Mm -hmm. There's no, um, it, that, they're just expectations of behavior. Not There's no volition yeah. in you choosing to become exactly. a, a parent, a mother. Right. 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 But, um, but if you notice in Patu's life, no one really condemned her for being an awful mother. They put up with it. I thought it was so unfair. Hmm. They put up with her abusing her daughter. Um, and uh, because violence was the norm, you know? 
you you beat your children. Mm. Everybody beat their children. Mm. Just don't beat them so hard. Right. <laughs> As to kill them. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we still see those debates yes, in yes, Malaysia often yes. when it comes up around yes. corporal punishment. All right. Uh, even adults. Most adults believe that you know corporal punishment ought to be there. But moving back into um, the Commonwealth uh, win, um, what did it mean to you? What does it mean to you as a writer? Still fresh? Still 2019? I know. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. <laughs> um, I was just talking to Elaine and Damienti about being regularly rejected all the time. All my submissions for contests or whatever, they got regularly rejected. So this win was an immense validation. Mm. It's not like you know your talent. Of course, we all know we have the talent and we know we like, we like our own stories. We think our stories are pretty good, but no one else thinks so. <laughs> you know? and then, it's great to have not just that pack, uh, yeah, but yeah, that resounding a, one. Yes, yeah, a validation. Hey, I like your story. Here, take this, you know? Mm. And, and to meet people who say, okay, I know a part of you writing about my mom. Mm. You're writing about my auntie. You're writing about my grandma. And, and then that story began to resonate with a lot of people. And that was a very good feeling. Mm. Because all writers want that. That the stories must mean something to other people. And, and that they carry that with them. Speaking of validation as a writer, you'd also shared a little about um, the Prague Summer Program. Oh, yes. How did that aid you, particularly um, looking at perhaps not really a dearth, there's an increasing presence of programs that are also available within Southeast Asia for writers, but why was the Prague summer program particularly pivotal for your career? Sharon Baka was my first teacher, okay, she was my first teacher, she was the one who first taught me about creative writing and editing and writing, all those things, yes, and I owe her loads, loads, loads. But after that, and, and after that, I was regularly looking to, to run away for a space. We're talking about space. That's right. You maintaining know, always, your space. Maintaining your space. You need that space. Because whether you like it or not, once you're in the house, you have a different identity. You carry different identities. Mm -hmm. You're a mother or your wife or you're, you're the copywriter and those mm -hmm. people are waiting for your copy or you're a teacher. And so you need to just get away and just write or be, be yourself to find that writing space. So Prague offered that because it was a three-week course. It was really very um, inexpensive. So that's why I chose it. But when I went there, it, it, it blew my mind because Richard Katrova's uh, Stu Dybeck. Stu Dybeck is an amazing author in his own right. He's so highly respected as, a, as an author. And, and, and uh, Richard is a fantastic writer. He's published. They've all won awards. So you have these two men with other mm -hmm. published writers teaching you, mentoring you, showing you uh, how your story works, how it doesn't work, how can, how can you look at it the other way. And, and you have all the other participants who are all writers, who are all in here to, for the love of writing, whether it's, it's stories, not prose or poetry. So that energy of mm -hmm. being with fellow writers, all loving the words on the page and creating but you've gone back as well to I Prague. know, they loved, mm -hmm. Richard loved, will you let him drink the wind? There was just a story I wrote. And uh, Richard said, come back anytime, all the time, free. <laughs> because he liked that. And uh, I'm so grateful. 
So I did shamelessly go back a few times. <laughs> Giving yourself all the space that you do need. Yes. Now you were speaking about short stories, but is there ever that you veer towards poetry instead as a oh, medium yes. of expression? Yes. And why? Um, I'm not sure about other writers, uh, prose writers. For me, in the, the, in the deepest moments of grief or whatever, I turn to poetry. I don't know about you. You do, huh? Is it perhaps the immediacy of the poetic form? And, and cutting away all explanation, all floss and fuss, it's just that crux of emotion or feeling or truth or, of the matter. You go to poetry, because poetry expects that. It doesn't need you to explain. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I know I write bad love poetry all <laughs> no, the time. Yeah. So. I think we all write poetry mm. when at that heightened emotional crisis or whatever, yeah. So in your writing as well, Saras, you've expressed that you've had to work out the baggage of being, uh, of being who you are, identity-wise. How does writing help you to process that? And what baggage are you referring to? I, I'm not sure to answer how it helps you process that. The baggage we all know, ethnic Indian, mm -hmm. Malaysian, conservative families and expectations, motherhood, and needing to work. All those are baggage that we carry. And, they, and when we're growing up, the baggage is, what will your, your parents know? What will your people think of your father? Yeah. You know? That That's was right. the baggage. Don't do this. Your father will, cannot, cannot lift his head up, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Don't shame the family. That kind of thing. So those are the baggages. We had to let go of them and say, so what? You know, we had, I think as one thing that writing has taught me is be, being, oh, and, and also interestingly, my father taught us to be terribly, completely scrupulous and honest, you know? It's, it, it's a straight line. So writing taught me to stick to that honesty of the matter, of the, of the word, and to not pretend or not to manipulate so as to get the reaction that you want to get. Because stay reaction, honest, perhaps? Stay honest, stay authentic, and the story comes out on its own, and people will respond if it's authentic enough. Don't write to manipulate your emotions or the, pe or the emotions of other people. I think that's what I learned. And when you write, are you the sort that you marinate the characters in your head or you Forever. write them out? Yes. When you're cooking, when you're washing, mm -hmm. when you're folding the clothes, when you're sweeping, when you're hanging out the clothes, when you're whacking the child who's horrible, you, the story is there. They the take time. away your life. Oh, yes, absolutely. You, you work out dialogue, you work out what they're wearing, what, where they're going, what they're doing. And why are they so boring? You know, it's there. They, they stay with you. You mm. sleep with them, you know. So, yeah. Talking about writing, there's also reading, of course. And what are your favorite types of books or genre to read? I'm and such why? a disgrace. I oh, love crime. <laughs> oh, I don't come read on. literary share, fiction. Share. I love crime. I love Wonderful. crime. Wonderful. I, I love crime. I yeah, thrive on and, it. And I learn from them. Uh, Louis Penny from, mm -hmm. from Canada, um, Elizabeth George, uh, her earlier books, Ruth Randall, Dorothy Sayers, um, you know, uh, 
who's the other one? Pretty James. I love them, and I learned, I learned the craft of writing from them. You know, I think because I love them. Hmm. Then you go and look at the work as a reader, as a writer. When so reading yeah. crime, do you prefer women writers? British writers. British writers, regardless. I'm so sorry. American writers, American crime writers, mm. they, 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 they're so violent. <laughs> sorry. Perhaps it's the culture, it's a reflection. It's also uh, gritty and whatever. British crime writers have that humor and that darkness and that wit. Mm-hmm. It's a wit that, that is lacking in American mm. writers. They take it very seriously, you know? Yeah. And what about um, writing and fleshing out female characters? Let's talk about male writers. Are there any male writers in particular who you think actually do justice to fleshing out female yeah. writers? I don't know. Do you? I, I, any recommendations I from the floor? Do you? Do you? Now, this is not meant to bash male writers, but why do you think this is? Why is it so difficult for male writers, exceptional in but all other can, can ways? Can a woman write about men exceptionally? Well, I don't really know. I know that I can write about a woman because I know how she works, how she feels, how she thinks. I'm not sure how a man thinks. Often I'm caught short, you know? No, that's not what I was saying. That's not what I was thinking, you know? I don't know. Mark, what do you think? You are? Ah, he does, yeah? He does. Okay, I've not read him. Yeah. I, I forget exactly what the account is called, but there's one account on Twitter that I follow that basically uh, it just posts up passages from classic books. There you go. That's the one. And uh, it's, 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 uh, it's horrifying sometimes, your favorite passages from all the best books, ah, but yes. the way oh, they women, describe yes, women, yes. etc. Yeah. yeah. There's a joke about um, such an embarrassing joke, totally improper, um, about a man, and mm-hmm. he's, he's given a choice of three men, three women. Who would he choose? The beautiful one, the good one, the noble one, the whatever. And he says, I'll choose the one with the biggest tits. <laughs> so, it's so it's so improper, but yeah. I don't know how far it's true, but mm. they're not written by a man. And I think you still see that in uh, writing that comes out today, not just writing that came out in the 50s or the 1930s, right? Now, writing, speaking about sustainability of the profession itself. So you've also, you've also definitely, you've done academic writing, you've done uh, writing of all other forms, in addition to the creative writing that is your focus. How do you balance? How do you code switch in between? I think... Um, it was academic writing that brought in the money that paid the bills, mm-hmm. everything. I wrote school books, workbooks, textbooks, um, even maths songs for kindergarten, you know, anything. Those, that, those brought in money. Um, fiction did not bring in much money, not, certainly not to sustain. And that code switching is really very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're writing your academic books, it's very hard to switch over and write creative work within the same day, which sometimes I had to do. Mm. So, um, how did you manage? Quite badly, I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just that you just got to do it. And, and so you do. Um, and, um, but it's getting harder. 
because uh, when you write fiction, the characters stay in your head, and then you have to go back and write a, an essay on the day I, the worst day of my life. Mm -hmm. No, then it's like the code switching is difficult. Yeah, what but on the other hand, because I was reading and writing so much creative stuff, it helped me with the creative writing when it came to writing academic books. So, both ways. Um, but I find that if, if, only, if only creative writing paid better, I wouldn't go to academic writing because that has become a chore. Creative mm -hmm. writing is where your heart is and your soul is and you feel happy. Any ideas about how creative writing could pay better aside from commercializing oh. the hell out of it? We are all pathetically poor. <laughs> okay, a contentious question, Saras. Do you consider um, the new era of, let's say, how, how do we deem it? Instagram poetry, the Nayira Wahids, the Rupi Kaur's, the Lang Leaves. Do you consider that poetry? Why not? I, I love Nayira Wahid. I don't know if you've read Nayira Wahid Instagram poetry. She's beautiful. And... Um, and, and she, she uses a minimum number of words to express what's so very important. I like her more than I like Langley or Ruby Core because mm -hmm. she's, she's really very, very good. And I've learned about uh, the reduction, the minimalizing of words through Instagram poetry. Mm. I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a snob in that way. I, I like everything that's good. And, and that's it. I think it's just personal preference, really. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, at least for me, uh, when I look at the Lang Leaves or mm -hmm. even uh, the Rupi Kaur's, I feel, um, I feel it trite because it lobotomizes my brain uh, when I'm some, reading it, uh -huh. that, 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 that contracted. But some prose does that, too. Hmm. I think it's just the quality of writing, in the end, Read Nahira Wahid. She's Absolutely. Good. I do love her. Yeah, I do she, love her. And I like her better than anyone else because she's not pretending. Mm. You know, that authentic voice is so important. You keep coming back to that authenticity, honesty. How do you find that, particularly when you are writing characters? It's not autobiographical. Mm. Um, I think it is growing up in a society that tells you to do this or to do that properly so, that, so as not to offend people, mm -hmm. so as not to um, tilt anything, to obey, to, 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 so that the, 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 the equilibrium is maintained. When you grow up in that, you, you get afraid and you see around you people losing or rather, yeah, losing the ability to be authentic, to be honest, because they don't want to hurt other people. There's nothing to do with race. It's to do with, mm -hmm. with who you are. I, I know uh, it's not wanting to hurt you. Therefore, they'll tell you what you want to hear so as to keep you happy. And I think I realized I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I want my characters to speak their own truth. And if that truth is not very comfortable, it is their truth. What excites you about writing a new character? <laughs> the end. <laughs> you know, some, because I'm so slow, <laughs> and, 
and they take like forever to get done. So when it's mm-hmm. done, it's done. And you see, I will write there. I, every, everything is mm-hmm. a gazillion takes. So I write the end, first draft. Then, the, then 10 drafts later, it's still the final version. Final, final, final. Final gazillion version, you know? Work in progress. I know. Non-stop. So how do you know that it is finally done? Yeah, when you, uh, when you say enough. I think when you finally say enough, because if you let it go, I like, I, I, I did two stories this weekend, which is revisions, done, done. And then a day later, I said, okay, what if I change that word? Then what, what if I change this bit? Mm. And then you go back and then you say, no more. You have to let it go. Do you yeah. leave it alone for a while, let it oh, sit? Oh, yes. I think all of us do that. We let mm. it uh, fallow, lie fallow for a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. Because if you work on it immediately, you lose a lot of things. You lose that uh, rich, that, that, that maturing bit. The texture, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. You need that maturing. Let, let, let it be. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, on that note, I open up to the floor because I'm sure the organizers will start hustling us very soon. Yes. We did start a little bit late. Yes, gentlemen at the back. Lady? Yes. Beg your pardon. I don't know, I just write about violence if it's there and, uh, and, and for people to acknowledge that violence if it's there. I, 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 I have to tell you, I'm not, I'm not a role model or uh, something to go and teach people what they ought to be or what they ought to do. I'm, I'm not a teacher in my stories. I just tell the stories as they are and, as, and, and you pick up what you want from it. I the moment I start teaching, then, then it becomes different. It's different. I felt that was a wonderful um, observation, though. Yes. The fact yes. that do we have to recreate it? But if we don't recreate it, how do we still speak about it? Yes, another hand. Yeah, I'm uh, interested in how you tread... I'm interested in how you tread, the f- as a writer, how you tread the fine line between sentiment and sentimentality. I think that honesty helps, you know. Um, refusing to be nostalgic. I, I think so. Hmm. Yeah. Refusing nostalgia while documenting it. Yeah, yes, yes. I, I think that's the strongest sense I got from reading it. Uh-huh. You can literally recognize little snatches of your own life if it's relevant to personal experience. Yes. Okay. Uh, hi, actually, if I could actually help perhaps answer that question for Saras, because um, if you read her story, um, the prize-winning story, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but it, the first few passages um, actually do suggest that you are going to go into sentimentality. Um, we are in a, a terrain where, a, a landscape that is, and using words and descriptions which are quite sentimental, but then it turns. So, and, and it becomes much darker. So in a way, 
the sentiment and sentimentality, I think, is addressed head-on in her piece by speaking a language of sentimentality and then turning, as opposed to ignoring the uh, sentimentality altogether. Thank you. I'm, I'm just putting your <laughs> thoughts into words. It's Way better than how I could. I would. <laughs> Thank you for that. But I must say, uh, one observation that I realized after rereading my mother's part two, um, it was on the, I think the second reread. What struck me most was I realized I loved it because it didn't um, emotionally blackmail me. Ah. I felt there was a huge lack of that, which is the most wonderful thing about the way oh. the end product is. Because most often when you do read, uh, when you do read stories relevant to particularly the Indian female experience, I feel there's a lot of emotional blackmail for the reader, particularly if you identify with it as a background. And there was none of that. How did you manage that? No. I have no idea. All those edits. This is something Ten, so was it? new, you know, yeah. Mm. I have no idea. I think it's just writing and, I don't know. Distilling the character, Hard perhaps. So 10 edits, or is it, was it a decade? A lot of Great number of edits, yes. Great number of edits. Yeah. Any other questions from the floor? Yes. Towards the center. Yeah, that's a very embarrassing question. Because... <laughs> But it took 10 years. <laughs> this is a safe space. We're just sharing. We're just sharing. The, the first, uh, first um, versions were so... Yeah, Diamante read them. You know, it's so dreadful because it was all over the place. Because I wanted to add all elements in, make sure I didn't forget anything or everything. And then I learned, you have to let go and let go and let go and let go and... Let go and and added in what needed to be said, yeah. Mm. But I don't, I don't recommend 10 years, you know, really. <laughs> really, no. Well, you yeah. never know. If there's a Commonwealth <laughs> Short Story Prize waiting at the end of it. <laughs> there was another question? Um, so my second question has to do with... Um, knowing how much of the story is really yours to tell, um, particularly if you are writing about something like you did with your story that resonates very personally with you and obviously has a, a linkage to your past. Uh, maybe it doesn't, I'm just speculating. Um, what if you have a story inside of you that, that you know you want to get out and it has to do with someone that you love very deeply but that someone is someone very private and, and you know that writing about her with honesty and with truth will hurt her. H how do you kind of overcome that? Navigating emotional lines. Yeah. You still have to write it out, don't you think so? You still have to write that story. And you will write, and as you write and rewrite and rewrite it, it will take on its own life. So it's no longer her story. It could have been her story in the beginning, but because you invested a life to that story, it became that character's story. I think that's true of most. You start off with some experience or memory that you know, and then, but the story takes on its own life. Mm. 
So, Patu is no longer one character, for instance. It's so many people mm. becoming that. Or, and and, the, and the, the people are not always people whom you know. It's someone you heard about, you read about, you, someone spoke about, and they, and they come in because, and I thought that, and I realized that's true because people keep coming to me even now and saying, you're writing about my mother, you're writing about my grandma, you're writing about my neighbor. How dare you? You know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I hope that helps. It, it Go ahead and write. It is not her story in the end, it's yours. Or it's the story's own story, you know, the character's own story. Story's own story. Yeah. I love how you phrase that. Any other questions? Yeah, I, I like your answer of um, saying that we refuse to nostalgia. But uh, how did you manage that? It's quite difficult, you know, as a writer myself. And we always think about the past, the, the, the days that when you don't have racial segregation and so on. So when you put into words, how did you manage to, to refuse to be nostalgic? Mm. I think that being honest, being authentic. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Facebook member of a lot of sites that are very nostalgic. I don't know whether you are. The, the, the old memories and all that, and they bring back old songs, they bring back old photographs. And I realized that how innately not quite truthful they are mm. because they, 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 they focus on the nostalgia and the sentimentality. And they always say things like, oh, we were so happy then. We were so wonderful. It's really not true. So it's like it, we were very happy because we thought we were, because we were kids. We didn't know how the adults were. I think everyone's always nostalgic about, about the era yes. when you were a teenager, when, when you were yeah, 16, 17. Let me just give you an 17. example. Like, uh, like when I was a kid, I had one of the most wonderful school days. You know, we were all not, in, not very good in studies, but we enjoyed ourselves. We were very good friends. We had no idea you were Chinese or Indian. Still, in spite of all that, I do remember that when I was in Standard 1, and we were playing PE, mm -hmm. the girls would not hold hands with Rani because Rani was the darkest girl in class. And they were so afraid that if they held her hand, it would be catching mm -hmm. that darkness. So yes, it was there. I've got a funny story to share <laughs> with regards to that. So um, I, I grew up in India, uh, so I was the only child who looked like a ghost at school. So kids wouldn't hold my hand because they thought that would be catching. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it can work both ways yes, as well. Yes. But the things that you always remember that come back, um, going back to the gentleman's question, yeah. um, but what is wrong with nostalgia? Why is it seen as such an ill almost? Not nostalgia. It is the sentiments attached. The, the, the lack of honesty or lack of truthfulness, critical, yeah, mm. yeah, attached to that nostalgia, which is dangerous, I think. Mm. Why is it dangerous, particularly in creative writing? Yeah, because it, it Ma Many writers, yeah? I, I think a lot, think, few of you have shared, you try and avoid it like the plague. Plain, yeah. <laughs> Why is nostalgia dangerous? Because of your book, you know. Thank you. If there are no more questions from the floor, because I see those wanting to come in for the next session already waiting in the wings. Right. With that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Saras Manika. Thank you. Thank you, Kamina. Thank you. Thank you.